0: Hi, I'd like to just introduce myself. Some of you um, know me probably more well than you would like to. Some of you uh, may not know me at all. So so I'm Nikki, I'm married to Andrew. Um, we are roots and uh, quite a lot of our hearts are in City Church because this is where we kind of, a lot of our formation happened over 20 years ago um, and uh, we were living in Malvern and, and part of the family here um, and then God took us to Ludlow. Um, God and Tesco's took us to Ludlow. If you want to know that story, you'll have to ask me later, because there's too many of those to kind of go through. But um, And we've been uh, planting and building church in Ludlow for the last 20 years. So that's kind of... That's been that bit of our lives. In, uh, in the meantime, we've also been bringing up two amazing children who have gone on to marry, and our daughter has two amazing children of our own. So um, we are very proud to be grandma and granddad. That's kind of the pinnacle of our, of our life. Um, and, uh, and then um, our son, who a lot of you do know, Josh, uh, met and married Helen, um, and they moved to Ludlow, because it is the place to be, just, just so that, you know, um, and they're now expecting their first child. No, that, that was not appropriate amount. Let's have a bit more. Um, so we're just uh, just really thrilled about that. So we've been uh, building church. Uh, sometimes dismantling church, sometimes building church. Um, We've been raising children. And and in the meantime, I've been working as a primary teacher. So I've had 20 years of working in primary schools around and about. Um, I also worked for a couple of years for the local authority. This is kind of my CV now, as a maths consultant, which involved working in and around schools, supporting them with their maths teaching. And then a couple of years ago, um, I got the opportunity to apply for a job at Worcester University to teach on their primary initial teacher education. I get the privilege of working with Ellie and Phoebe and the other students that you have here. They are amazing, I have to tell you. They are amazing and pretty cool job on the, on the words. Not, not 100% perfect, but pretty good, I think, for a <laughs> first time. So can we just give Ellie, because it's not that easy, a <clears throat> bit of recognition. Thank you. So me and Ellie have kind of got something in common here because um, I am way outside of my comfort zone here right now. This is not kind of part of what's my normal doing and being. Um, Ellie's a little bit outside, but um, it doesn't compare. I tell you, it doesn't <laughs> compare. Um, so, which is interesting. Graham, I don't know how many months ago, said to me, Nicky, will you, will you come and speak at City Church? And I'm like, and my instinct is no, but, you know, something in me just said... It's it's time. It's time to to step a little bit further out. Because I've been learning recently that being outside of your comfort zone is where God meets you and where you grow. So I'm in faith today that um, I'm going to get a whole lot out of being here. Um, The rest of you, I'm not so sure. But for me, this is going to be a good thing. Okay. So then Graham says, bless his cotton socks and why don't you talk about women in leadership? And I'm like, what? Really? Women in leadership? Then graciously, uh, well, over a bit of a period of time, actually, so maybe not quite so graciously, he said, just anything, anything, talk about anything you like. Um, So what I'd like to do today is just um, let you into a little bit of the last few months of my kind of conversations and journey with God, the things that um, he's been kind of having me think about the things that, uh, the questions that I've been asking him and asking myself. I am very likely to leave you with more questions than answers. I'm not. I'm not a big answers person. I'm much more of a questions person. I do want to um, kind of um, look at the women in leadership thing a little bit. Um, partly because I, I kind of said that I would. But I I actually feel it's part of a bigger question. So, um, yeah. Did I say I wanted to kind of give you a bit of glimpse into my head and into my heart? Did I say that bit? Yeah, my head is a scary place. I just warn you now, my heart's all right, but my head is quite a scary place. I'm going to demonstrate that now, because what I'd like to start off with, there's a slide up there. So I have got a title for this morning, but um, this is where my head goes. So my five-year-old granddaughter um, has a joke You'll know that we do jokes in our family, big time. It's a a thing. I have a joke, okay? I've been telling the same joke. See, there you go, it's that good. It's that, it's not, and I'm not going to tell it. See, it's so good that Ruth is laughing about it, even though I haven't told it to her for about five years. OK, but I'm not going to tell you that joke. I'm going to tell you Evie's joke. Now, Evie's parents are good, righteous, lovely people, and they've told, taught her the politically correct version of this joke. So you will probably know this joke as the Englishman, the Irishman, and the Scotsman. Um, but Evie's version is the Englishman, the Scotsman, and the Bristol man. OK. <laughs> Um, because, and she doesn't, she doesn't know. Um, Anyway, so, this is a terrible joke, by the way, can I just say, it's a really, it's even worse than the other joke. So, there was an, what was it, English, Scots, Bristol man, um, so, who were going to go down a slide, and somebody said to them, I don't know who, was it? A a fairy, fairy, somebody, you know, with magical powers, says, um, when you go down the slide, whatever you shout you'll land in a, you know, a deluge of at the bottom. You've heard this story, haven't you? You know where this is going, right? Okay, so, so now even in Evie's version, she doesn't even say who's who. So she says, one of them went down the slide because, you know, it's all politically correct and we don't want to pick on any of the people. One of them went down the slide and landed in gold. Oh no, shouted. See, this is why I don't do jokes. And shouted gold. Went down the slide, gold! Landed in a pile of gold, right? Do you want, I will tell the whole thing. Second one, second one, one of them, the other one of the one that's, that hasn't been yet goes down the slide. You're all like, where on earth is this going to go? Gosh. Yeah, well, I know you were, but where then? But then why? Goes down the slide and shouts, um, "Silver!" And the third one, who oh, is really the Irishman, goes down the slide and shouts, "Wee!" <laughs> sorry, if you hadn't heard that, I'm really sorry to. But I've now lowered the tone about as far... I can go lower, but I'm not going to do it in public. So that's about as far as, as I can go. Because my title today... Oh, I haven't got my clicker. Thank you. All right, let's see. My title, and that really doesn't show up very well, is Where's the We?" Okay, and I've had this title for a little while, but when I, when I say it in my head, what I've got is Evie's joke, and I just thought I'd let you all have that as well. Okay, so if I give you nothing else this morning, that's what I'm going to give you. So I'm going to cover quite a lot of ground. Graham's going to tell me when I'm waffling. Sim's going to tell me when I'm, you know, I'm near, I, my time is nearly up. I am probably going to do quite a lot... No, I'm not probably. I am absolutely going to do a whole lot of skimming and not go very deep. Um, because I'm a skimmer, I'm not a dive deeper. That's just kind of who I am. If you want to go deeper with stuff, you're going to have to go away and do the work yourself. Okay? And if you don't want to, well, then that's fine. Don't. So, all right. Can I have that bottle of water, please? Ruth, you are so lovely. Isn't she just an amazing woman? Yep. Okay. We used to have um, a plaque that looked a bit like this, which I actually gave away. And if you look at it, I don't know, what do you see? What do you see? Right, some of you are seeing letters, because you're, you're, you're working hard at it. Some of you are seeing kind of random shapes. Depends on whether you're looking at the dark bit of the wood or the light bit of the wood. Okay? Ellie and I, we're seeing um, the nets of cubes, aren't we, Ellie? Yep. <laughs> Possibly. Are they or are they not? There's a mathematical investigation for you. I think... Uh, this, is my, this is my section about women in leadership, by the way. Um, I think when we um, think about women in leadership, what we often uh, do is we see the bits that stand out to us, which I'd like you at the moment to see as the, the light bits. Okay, The sort of stuff where um, Paul says somewhat tricky things like... Um, Women should be silent during the church meeting. It's not proper for them to speak. Um, if they have questions, they should ask their husbands at home. Okay? Yeah, It's tricky, isn't it? This stuff is tricky. Women should learn quietly and submissively. Do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Okay, that stuff's tricky. And when we read it, it kind of leaps out at us. It sticks out, doesn't it? Because there's something about it that... that like, I need to wrestle with this. Because, because this is in the Bible. And the Bible is a, it's, it's meaningful to me. And if it's there, I need to take note of it. Yeah, I need to work it out. But it's, it's, not, it's not easy. But I think in that, sometimes, what we don't see is the stuff that doesn't stick out. Okay, I don't know whether that makes it a little bit clearer. Can you see... Jesus in there. Okay, if this is a bit like the, you know, what's the answer to the question? The answer's always Jesus in Sunday school. It, it just happened that this said Jesus. It could have said pretty much anything because my point is that sometimes um, we need to see the stuff that's kind of just under the surface, maybe. So that's what I want to explore today. I feel like um, looking at women in leadership... There's, there's a lot of really learned people out there who've got really, really good, good theology for totally opposing viewpoints. And I don't really have the knowledge or the wisdom to wade in there. But what I do want to do is just kind of flag up some thoughts about, okay, there are those difficult passages. I'm not going to even attempt those. But there's also some other stuff as well. Okay, and I'm going to kind of skim through it because to be honest... This is, this is just kind of in my head. In fact, it's not even mine. I've got it from somebody else, but I'm just going to... And then I want to share some of the stuff that's in my heart, and I'll try and enable you to see how in the scary place that's my head, those things link. Right, this has all come from this guy, Kenneth Bailey, um, who lived in the Middle East for for much of his life. So he's kind of been steeped in the culture. So he writes from a sort of a cultural perspective, which is really hard for us to kind of read the New Testament, I think, with that cultural perspective. So I think some of what he's got to say is useful. I don't know that he's 100% correct. You know, I'm sure there's other points of view, but um, this is what he says. So he, he looks at some of the different instances of the roles that women um, uh, are taking in the Bible. So there's evidence that women were part of his band of disciples. Luke 8. Um, if you look towards the end, among, his 12 disciples were with him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza. You know, we don't hear an awful lot about her, do we? Herod's business manager. That's Chuzza, Joanna, his wife. So presumably he was busy managing Herod's business Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Okay, I'm not an expert in Middle Eastern culture, but I think that's probably quite surprising that there were women travelling with this band and that they were financing what was going on. So, women as disciples. Okay, another one. Women as disciples. Jesus asked. this is this, another one of those tricky passages where his mother, his mother and brothers come and he's, it seems like Jesus is sort of fairly dismissive of them. I'm not going to go there. But what I do want to just say is, look at this. He says, Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples, okay, his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Now, he couldn't have done that if the crowd that he was pointing at were all men. He couldn't have said, there are my mother and brothers. So, we've got women there as disciples. Like I say, if you want to go away and explore this more, that's great. I'm just going to sort of skim through. Um, women as deacons and ministers, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. The lovely Phoebe has gone out, but I'd like to just commend her to you as well. Um, who is a deacon in the church in, I can't say that word either. Okay, so we've got women as deacons, ministers. Depends on what translation you're looking at. Women teaching. Yes. So this, is, this one's... Um, we've got Apollos, who's arrived in Ephesus. He'd been taught the way of the Lord. I put all this up on the screen for you. I'm not really a big fan of a lot of text on screen, but I just thought I wanted to, you to believe that I wasn't making it up. Okay. Although I could have just made it up and put it on the screen, obviously. Um, He'd been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. That sounds quite cool, doesn't it? Enthusiastic and accurate. That's a good combination. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila, now Priscilla's the girl and Aquila's the guy, heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Okay, so we've got a woman and her husband here teaching Apollos then Apollos moves on uh, when he arrived wherever it was he moved to he proved a great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed so he'd learnt from Priscilla and Aquila okay so we've got a woman as a teacher this is the stuff I don't know about you I read that and I don't even notice it yeah that's kind of that's, that was the point of the thing that I showed you at the beginning does that make some sense excellent see you're getting inside my head and that's a scary place to be I wouldn't stay there too long okay disciples that's out of order then I've gone back to disciples again Mary and Martha oh this is so cool we know this story well don't we there's, there's Mary at Jesus' feet and there's Martha distracted, distracted from what well probably distracted from what Jesus was saying by the fact that she has to cook dinner you know if If Mary's sat at Jesus' feet, learning, that word, sat at the feet of, has, has particular significance. Paul says that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. To sit at the feet of a rabbi meant to become a disciple of the rabbi. Jesus is including Mary, and Martha actually, if she chooses, to be part of that band, to be one of his disciples. He, there, he's, he, there are no barriers, no boundaries. Okay, culturally, that was that was not normal, and quite possibly had implications for Mary. Um, Kenneth Bailey down here suggests that um, Martha would have been going, oh, oh my goodness, she, she's disgracing herself. What's going to happen to us? My sister's joined this band of men. What will the neighbours say? What will the family think? Who will marry her after this? This is too much. Yeah, she's gone into a, a world that actually was a male domain. And Jesus, she's gone there because Jesus has said, you belong here, okay? You're part of this. All right, so, prophets. Philip the Evangelist had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. So we've had disciples, we've had deacons, we've had prophets. Have we had something else that I've forgotten? Teachers. Oh, yeah. do forget the teachers. Okay. Oh, and possibly apostles. So there's, I think, this um, again, there are some sort of differences of opinion on this one. Andronicus and Junia. My fellow Jews who were in prison with me, they are highly respected among the apostles. There is some debate about whether that meant it's the apostles who do the respecting and they're respected by them or they're part of the group of apostles. But it's possible that that's a reference to um, Andronicus, who's the guy, and Junior, who's the girl, um, being apostles. So it seems that According to Kenneth Bailey, actually, right across the New Testament, there are women in pretty much every role of the church. So, which is good news as far as I'm concerned. So what about Jesus? Not well. Oh, not well. Ah. <laughs> See, that's what's in my head. Okay, the woman at the well. Just Jesus, Jesus connects with women time and time and time again totally destroying, totally um, blasting through the social um, barriers. Um, so the woman at the well, let's, I'll talk a little bit about, but there's, there's other examples as well. Um, he's going back to Galilee. He chooses to go through Samaria. Most good Jews would go round. They wouldn't go through Samaria. There's a whole lot of stuff, historical stuff, where you know the two didn't, didn't get on, although they were both Jewish communities. He's got himself to this well, um, middle of the day. He's in need. He's at a point of weakness here. He's, cho- he's, kind of, he's, he's, he's chosen to put himself in that place, I guess. He's tired, he's thirsty, and he hasn't got a bucket. Apparently, travelers in those days would, would carry a, a fold-up bucket with them. Um, he's sent the disciples off to get some food, and they must have the bucket with him so he 's in a point he 's needy, he needs some help from somebody. How often do we so this is a bit of an aside, but how often do we relate to people from a position of, of our of all that we have rather than of need of their being able to of being reciprocal that 's a whole aside thing. Okay, this woman pitches up generally, the women would have come at the beginning of the day when it was cool and come together. She comes on her own, which suggests she 's probably um, something of of an outcast for some reason. What Jesus should have done as she approached is to withdraw. It was not the done thing to even make eye contact with a woman in public, particularly a stranger in a strange place. So he he should have just moved out of the way, let her get her water, and then he could go back to the well. But he doesn't do that. He stays, and then he speaks to her. Oh, my goodness. We cannot begin to kind of grasp what that, how, what a big deal that was. We read this and like, oh, that's nice. They had a chat. No, this is the this is the brown bit of the of the Jesus plaque. Okay, this was big stuff. A rabbi wouldn't even talk to his own wife in a public place, and yet Jesus talks with this woman and invites her to uh, actually. My goodness, the stuff that he um, unpacks with her about what worship means. And then he reveals, he talks about who he is. He uses that phrase, I am. That sort of encapsulates who God is. I am the Messiah. And then he sends her to go and, sh- and be the bringer of this good news to the whole of her community. Syrophoenician woman was the one where um, she asks Jesus to heal her daughter who's who's, um, uh, demon-possessed. And Jesus, you know, there's a whole, again, tricky conversation about, well, you know, I don't give the food, the the children's bread to the dogs. Um, But he's in conversation with her and he, he heals her daughter. He frees her from that demon and he commends her for her faith. Breaking down all of those barriers. She wasn't even a, a, a Jew. He, was, he shouldn't have been, She was a Gentile. I mean, you know, there's just every kind of reason why he shouldn't have been engaging with her at all. And he just blasts through it all. Woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Jesus has been hugely insulted by Simon by the fact that he hasn't. He's not washed his feet. He's not anointed him with oil. And she comes in and she's offended for him. And so she. Weeps and washes his feet with her tears and she dries it with her hair. She unbinds her hair. That was um, a, a, a cause for divorce without any settlement. If a woman went, a married woman, went out in public and uncovered or unbound her hair and yet she does this, what should Jesus have done? You know, socially, acceptably. He should have just... He should have sent her away. He should have been embarrassed, mortified by what she did. And what does he do? He speaks to her. He defends her. He actually says, what she's doing is the right thing. You should have done this. At great cost to himself, he'd been invited into Simon the Pharisee's house. They were kind of wanting to test him out. Okay, let's just find out a bit more about this guy. Well, I think that was probably a pretty huge nail in the coffin, the way that he responded. And look where that took him. Okay, so Jesus' actually, you know, contact, engagement with women. It's really hard to get from the lens of our culture. Really hard to get. So we have to, we, when you're reading the Bible, I would encourage you, when you're reading the Gospels, just have um, a senses out for what might be culturally significant. And then, see, this is cool. I really like this. I'd not thought about this before. But this is, so this is Kenneth Bailey. So, but as a teacher, so at, at the university last year, oh, I knew it was three in one. Um, we had a whole thing about, um, actually, how do we communicate in, the, in our content? This was something that was part of our team meetings. In our content, that everybody in our classes is included is valued. So people who might feel that they're on the margins for whatever reason, ethnically, uh, to do with gender identity, um, that they have a sense, actually, it's all right, you belong here. And the thing that we talked about was the fact that, actually, if examples that we use either of um, learning theorists, or, you know, in, in my context, I'm, I'm putting out maths problems. OK, what about those, those examples being... Um, ..using context where it's somebody from a different ethnicity or, or a, a different gender identity? That, that communicates something. Without it being a spoken message, it's there as a... Do you know, ..you're... ..because the example I'm choosing reflects something of who you are. Does that make some sense? Think about the stories that Jesus used. So when he was teaching, let's just do this really quickly. He uses examples where women were the centre of the story and where men, where men were the centre of the story. And in doing that, that's that message going out. This is for you, this is for you and for you. So mending the, the parable of the mending the garment, the parable of the wineskins. Blokes did the wine-making, women did the mending. Okay, he's using examples for both. Um, the parables we're wrestling with, does God answer prayer? We've got two parallel, parallel parables. One about a widow and one about a, the, the friend at midnight, about a man. The parable of leaven in the bread, the parable of the mustard seed. The farming was the job that the men did. The making the bread was the job that the women did. Yeah, there's messages. What's Jesus saying in all that? parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. There's only one of these where they're actually separate. The, the second one, the widow and the, the friend at midnight. The, other, the others, he's telling the stories side by side. I'm sure there's different stuff in the meanings, but I think also he's saying, this is for everybody. This is for you. Okay, I'm going to move on. So, I want to go a bit bigger, though, because... I kind of think, women in leadership, really, is that really a question? Are we really asking? And I know we are. And I know it's a serious question. But actually, I think there's something bigger. I think there's something about, what about each one of us and who we are and what our identity is? So I'll just this is some stuff that, that I've been journeying with, uh, with God in the last little while. Um, this story about Jesus going to Nazareth. Andrew, do you want to read it for me, and I'll
1: have a drink of water. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief.
0: I I find this astounding find it, it's a real glimpse into the, the humanity of Jesus, isn't it? You know, the fact that he was amazed by something. He's God, he knows everything and yet he was amazed at their unbelief. It's a bit sad that he was amazed at something negative rather than some, something positive, wasn't it? Jesus, God and man. And yet he get he's limited, he's restricted. He can't do any miracles among them, apart from the few that he does do. <laughs> um, because of the attitudes, because of the judgment that the, 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 these, these guys said, well, he's just a carpenter. He's just a carpenter. I read this a while back and I was just kind of pondering it and God just said to me, how often do you say he's just a She's just, a. Uh, I have my own prejudices. And by, uh, even not articulating those out loud, but by, by allowing them in me, I limit people. If Jesus could be limited by people saying that about him, how, how much more might we limit people by those attitudes? So, so I'm like reeling from that one a little bit, and then God says... And what about when you say about yourself, I'm just a, I'm just a teacher. And here I am in a university, trying to teach these amazing students. I'm just a. When Graham asked me to come today, all those months ago and it was quite a long time ago my instinct is to go no I'm just I'm just a inadequate inarticulate superficial girl quite an old girl but a girl (laughs) I don't want to I don't want to speak that limit those limitations over me yeah I'm not just at anything you're not just and anything. I am a wife, I am a mother, I am a teacher. I'm a facilitator, I'm an implementer, I'm an includer. I'm someone who influences environment and culture. I'm, a, I'm an instinct person. I'm led by my gut. My gut feeling says, yes, women should be in leadership. Yeah, my gut feeling is, everybody should have access to everything. That's my gut feeling, all right? I, I, and, and, and I need to be around other people who've got the head and the, the, um, the academic and the, you know, the intellectual sort of stuff that will back that up. There are things I'm not. I'm not a visionary. I'm not an instigator. I'm not a deep-thinking theologian. I'm not. Okay, so there's things I am and there's things I'm not. But I'm not just Anything. And I need to speak that to myself because if I don't, then God is limited in me. I, I stop the, the life of God being expressed in and through me. So my challenge to you is to ask yourself that question. Are there contexts where your response is, I'm just, I'm just... And we need role models we need to be role models to one another. That's the other reason I wanted to say yes to Graham. Okay. This is not natural to me. It's, it's scary for me. I think I realized some of the I'm just is based on fear. If I say I am, then I have to put myself out there. And what if I get rejected? What if I make a mess of it? What if it's not you know successful? What if people don't think well of me? It's all about fear. That's, that's not what God has for us. We need people around us who are prepared to be role models and we need to be prepared to be role models to other people. Ruth inspires me. The thing that inspires me, there's many things, but one of the things particularly that inspires me is how she, she's so passionate for Jesus. Yeah. Whatever is, life is throwing at her, the thing that she talks about, the person she talks about, is Jesus. I want to be more like that. Robin inspires me, again, in so many ways. But particularly her her phenomenal friendship and commitment to people. I don't know anybody who's got such a massive network of friends that she persistently keeps in touch with and expresses care and love for. If you're not right in front of me, I've forgotten about you. (laughs) Yeah? Robin, Robin has these people in her heart and her mind. She inspires me. Who are you inspired by? And who are the people that you're inspiring? Okay, so, but then in all of that, that's all, that's, this, that's me. A, you know, it's about me and my identity, and that's really important, but uh, the question God is asking me at the moment is where is the we? Yeah, you know, it had to come back, didn't it? Where is the we? Um, I had a link here, but it doesn't work, to um, Johnny Cash singing about a personal Jesus. I am overwhelmed and so privileged to know Jesus. But that's only one part of the coin. That's only one side of the story. Where is the we? Paul talked about us being members of of God's family. He said, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So the temple was the locatable presence of God on earth. And that's who Paul is saying we are. Which is great, isn't it? It's really exciting. But what on earth does that look like? What on earth? Where is that at my experience? How am I actively living that out on Monday? How am I actively living that out in my close relationships? I think I am, I think we are. This doesn't say you should be his house, you should be carefully joined together. It says you are. Yeah? But I think I need to make that more conscious. Now, I, I suspect you guys are a lot better at this than I am, to be honest with you. But, so this, is, this may be just for me. But I'm, I'm feeling really challenged about where the we is in my expression of my relationship with God at a micro level, at a community level. What does it look like nationally? What does it look like internationally? When Richard's going off to Mai, of course, why would you not? To Mai to, um, to work for World Without Orphans, you know, that stuff. That's, that, that, to me, that's in, an international expression of being joined together, part of the cornerstone. I, I was looking at... Um, One Kings where Solomon's built uh, the temple. The first kind of proper substantial temple. It was costly. It took years to build and he had to get help. He didn't have all the resources. Okay? He got timber from um, Hiram, who'd been a faithful friend of David's. It wasn't some random person. It was somebody that was a long-standing relationship with. Solomon prays a prayer of dedication and there are themes that go through that prayer. Again and again, it's about the honour of the name of God. There's themes of judgment and justice, of forgiveness and restoration, of righteousness, of inclusion, that all people would come to know and fear and honour God. So I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe some of those things are measures. If I'm not sure what it looks like, and it probably doesn't just look like enjoying having coffee with Ruth, although that is a great thing. But is there honour being brought to God in the we? <coughs> is there a place where judgment and justice is being worked out, where forgiveness is being worked out and restoration is happening in the we? Is there inclusion? Is it for everybody? And um, I'm a singer and a worship leader and um, generally my choice of songs is based on A, whether it's in D major or not, because um, that's where the Holy Spirit resides generally, sometimes in G, or with a capo on. Um, and in things that I've got a nice tune. And I'm, I, the words tend to, which is not great as a worship leader, Those, I have to say, this is not things to aspire to as a worship leader. But what I've been noticing recently is how... The language of our songs is very individual. It's very personal. And that's, that's okay, but it shapes our expression of our faith. I was looking at this song. I said to Steph, Have you, Do you know this song? Just before we started. She said, Yeah, we've got that on our list today. I'm like, Oh, thank you, God. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I love this song. And it's got a really good tune. And it's in D. (laughs) But what if we don't say, God, I look to you? What if we say, let's just read these words together. But say, God, we look to you. What changes when we have the we instead of the I? God, just read it with me. God, we look to you. We won't be overwhelmed. Give us vision to see things like you do. God, we look to you. You're where our help comes from. Give us wisdom. You know just what to do. We will love you, Lord, our strength. We will love you, Lord, our shield. We will love you, Lord, our rock. Forever, all our days, we will love you, God. It's different, isn't it? I think we need to practice the we. I think we need to ask ourselves. I, don't, I haven't got the answers and it's going to look different for everybody in different contexts. But I think we need to, to, to identify where it's already and to uh, do that to where it isn't. And what I'd um, like to invite you to do, if you want to, this is my version of Solomon's t- Temple. You can see it's built on the foundation of the Apostles and the Prophets and the blue bit. Okay. Um, if you would like to, I'd like you to come and take a brick from this temple and take it home with you and put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Guys, it's going to be on the windowsill by the, by the sink. Or by the iron in our house. Andrew's the ironer in our house. But only if he's um, watching sci-fi. Take a break. And just two things. Think about the, um, the I'm just. Am I, am I limiting the life of God in me with an I'm just? And uh, where's the we? Where's the we? Okay.